Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's continue to just uh, pray. Lift up the name of Jesus. That's, that's what we're here to do this morning. Jesus, you are king. You reign. You reign over all things. You reign right now, God, over us this morning. We come to you under the protection of your love. We lift up your name. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that this morning, as we open your word and remember your last minutes with us here on earth, that you would open up our spiritual eyes. You would let us see you and see you in your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, this morning, we're going to read together our passage from Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 for several weeks. John started last week, uh, the first few verses of Acts chapter 1. We're going to read together uh, the next few verses uh, there on the screen. Would you mind standing? And we're going to read it out loud together. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Thank you. One one thing I wanted to do this morning as we talk about this passage and what it means for us is um, I think we're going to go through quite a few uh, other verses. So if you've got your Bible or your your smartphone, get get ready. I want us to read through quite a few verses, but... We, t- we talked about this uh, last week. John talked about this, um, this, this setting where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's already risen from the dead, um, and he has been appearing to them for multiple days in multiple settings. And uh, this, this passage is, is really the last few words uh, that he said to his disciples before he ascended. 
In verse 6, the disciples are asking a question. Uh, They ask, after he's told them to go wait on the Holy Spirit, they ask, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And I, I, I think um, what we see here from the disciples is a, a desire for what they expect from God to happen. Well, they expect God to do something, and they're asking, when is that going to happen? And <clears throat> we'll come back again to this at the end of my message, but I think that this this story, this passage from, uh, from Acts is a good way to challenge us as followers of Christ to, to wait, uh, to wait on God. And what is it that we're waiting for and how do we wait? Um, there, there are a, a couple of things here that we see in the passage. Uh, the disciples are waiting for the restoration of the kingdom Um, Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and do what? Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And what do the angels tell the disciples that they need to do? He's left, and you're going to one day see him come again. So you need to wait, wait for that too. And, you know, as we've been going through, we went through John um, in our last sermon series, and we're going through Acts. Um, I know it is an easy comment for us to make as we read about the disciples um, and see the questions they ask and the things that they say, and, you know, we kind of make the common comment that, uh, isn't that silly, (laughs) isn't that foolish? that, he, that Jesus in his last minutes with them is promising them to receive power from the Holy Spirit, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And um, they're, they're still asking about their understanding of the restoration of Israel. But I wanted us to look uh, at a passage to maybe help us understand where they were coming from. You know, the, it wasn't that they were just slow. They, they, they were asking questions that were grounded in things that God had promised them. So I want us to look at Isaiah 49. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read just a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 49. And this is just one place that helps us to see what the disciples meant when they were asking Jesus this question. But as Isaiah 49, verse 5, verse 5, and now says Yahweh who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of Yahweh and God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So do you, do you see, this is a, this is a passage um, to Isaiah, God speaking to Isaiah, but we also know that this is about the servant. Uh, this is about the Messiah who will come. But do you see there in verse five that he says that he, he formed 
the servant in the womb to bring Jacob back to God. To, to, to gather Israel back to God. And he says in verse 6, it's not just to, meaning that one of the reasons he's called is, is to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. So when the disciples, when the disciples ask, I, mean, I think what is happening is they've seen Jesus' ministry. They've seen the witness, God the Father speaking. They've seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen Jesus fulfill scripture. They saw um, the power that John the Baptist had in declaring that this was the Messiah, the, the Lamb of God. They saw Jesus rise from the dead. They saw him alive. And it seemed like he was about to declare that he was finished. And they asked, well, uh, we, we really expected you to restore Israel. And does that mean that that's just right around the corner? <clears throat> and Jesus' answer I mean, we've read it before. We've, we've read it, so I know this is not too surprising, but I think it should be surprising to us. His answer is, is not a yes. Um, it's not a think, good job, guys, for um, knowing the prophecies. But he actually refers again here to the authority of God, which John brought up last week. Um, God is uh, in charge. God's the king. And Jesus says here that God is the king of time. He is the, the king of the events of human history. And he says, actually, um, it's, it's not for you to know when God will restore the kingdom. It's, it's not for you to know. But um, I, I think Jesus is... Uh, well, certainly consistent with, and I think intentionally referencing the, the end of those verses that we just read. It says, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus is, Jesus is affirming the prophecies that said God would, God would restore his people. God would pull them back together. God would maintain a remnant, which we, we see that in many of the Old Testament prophecies, this concept of a remnant of Israel. But he also says, I'm going to make you a light to the nations. I'm going to send you to declare salvation to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, no, not yet. Not yet Israel restoration, not yet full restoration. And God has fixed times, epochs. Your translation may have different words there. But he has an overarching plan for all of history. And I will say, frankly, <laughs> it's, it's difficult um, it's difficult for me to preach this. It's difficult, it's difficult when we start to think about the question that's being asked and the answer that 
Jesus gives is our existence as the church, our existence as individual believers is part of God's eternal spiritual plan for the universe. And, and that is, uh, it's humbling for us to understand and appreciate that. Um, frank, frankly, humbling to talk about it. But Jesus is saying that these disciples are entering into a new age, a new era. And when they receive the Holy Spirit in power, that is a new phase, a new era in the eternal history of the universe. You need to go to Jerusalem, which we, we find out later, you know, they, they go to uh, a room and wait for this new epoch in human history. In, in spiritual history. This is big. And what, what, Jesus, what Jesus says is a claim to the sovereignty, ultimate sovereignty of God. Who can say that all of human history and all that we know is ordered and known. Who can say that? Only, only its creator. And this is what Jesus is, Jesus is saying, is that the Father has established everything. Okay, well, if he has, and we see some, some insight into that plan in Isaiah 49, that the servant of God will come, will bring a message of salvation will begin to restore Israel and will be a light of salvation to the ends of the earth, then this shouldn't be uh, too surprising either. Uh, Jesus himself rising into the clouds. And I wanted us to look at a few verses that, that show that this is not too surprising. So Psalm 110 is a very important passage for us as we attempt to understand the ascension and what does it mean for Jesus to lift up into the clouds. In Psalm 110, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. So this is a psalm of David, and um, we're going to see elsewhere in Scripture um, this, this passage is applied to Jesus. Uh, very interesting is verse 1, where David says, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This was a passage that Jesus himself alluded to, to explain that 
uh, although it might, if we read this quickly, we might think that David was talking about himself, that David actually says, Yahweh says to my Lord that I will make you, uh, your enemies, a footstool for your feet. And so that this is a prophecy of Jesus, that Yahweh, that the Father will make Jesus uh, exalted above all of his enemies. So, as we've read the prophecy, I wanted to also take a step back and think about, is all of this just happening in a spiritual world that no one can see? So, we have, we have Jesus here speaking to the disciples, and when he leaves and he says, I'm going to the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to give you power, like, is this just happening that he's hoping to convince them psychologically that they can be people of confidence to go talk about things that he's taught them? Um, and, you know, when I ask that question, I think about what happens next? What happens after them? We're going to talk in Acts 1 and 2 about the very specific empowerment the Holy Spirit provides to the disciples. Because clearly the Holy Spirit pours out on the church at that point. But I wanted to jump ahead. If you uh, look at Acts chapter 7, verses 55 to 56, this is um, about Stephen. And you remember Stephen was um, the, one of the early martyrs of the church. And in um, Acts 7, verse 55, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He gave, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So very soon after Jesus ascends to the Father, Stephen sees him there. Um, this is, this is one, the last thing that Stephen sees before he dies, is he sees Jesus there. If you look at Acts chapter 26, uh, verses 12, starting in verse 12, this is the, one of the re retellings of Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus. Paul says, uh, he, it was Saul at the time, but he says he was uh, engaged journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I've appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to things which you've seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may, they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So this is Paul, and he sees Jesus as well after his ascension. Um, there, there are 
um, more passages in the New Testament that talk about the, um, the exaltation of Jesus after his death, resurrection, and ascension. Uh, I like uh, Hebrews in chapter 1. So starting in verse 3, Hebrews 1, 3, Jesus is the exact radiance of his glory and representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And then in verse 13, but to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? This, this idea of Jesus uh, living a pure life, a righteous life, and dying for our sins, and then being exalted by the Father to kingship is woven throughout the New Testament and the early churches' approach to life in view of spiritual reality. And uh, we said it this morning. You remember when we quoted the creed. Um, can you pull that up again? Is that possible? Can we pull up the creed? Um, I don't know how easy that is to do, but uh, we say that uh, Jesus, we, we believe in Jesus. Uh, we believe that on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's uh, coming again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. Right? This is what we say. This is the cornerstone of faith in the exalted glory of Jesus, who is king. And, and what does this king, then, there it is, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We, we talk about um, the age that we are in. This is the age that we are in. We're in an age when we know this, when we know that Jesus is exalted, but yet we, 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 yet we haven't seen the kingdom that will have no end yet. We haven't seen it fully um, brought into being. We haven't seen Israel rescued. We haven't seen the ends of the earth yet hold of the glory of God and called into his family. So that's, you see the, what, what the king is then telling his disciples will happen next is that this is the age this is what is going to happen. You will go to Jerusalem and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit's power and you will be witnesses. Oh, I, I read a, a bit about uh, from Isaiah 49 that um, the servant would be called to be a light to the nations. But... Close to that in Isaiah, um, I'll read probably Isaiah 43, um, Isaiah 43, 5 through 12, um, 
Isaiah says, do not fear for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. Hear that again. Got a promise to gather and restore. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears. All the nations have gathered together so that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say it's true. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know me and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am Yahweh, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares Yahweh. I am God. You hear, you hear here God's uh, reminder to his people that I've done many things among you. I've called you. Uh, one day I will call and rescue all of you, all of you who will be mine. Um, and three or four times he calls them his witnesses. Of this. And when Jesus in Acts 1 gives his disciples final commands, this is what he tells them, that you will be my witnesses. Um, They have witnessed new things, having walked with Jesus, that Israel had not seen before. They witnessed new things. They saw uh, who Jesus was, who God was in the flesh. They saw what mercy and justice really looked like. They saw what truth and love and sacrifice really looked like. Um, They saw where forgiveness came from. They knew all of these things. And um, and 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 I thought it interesting because, you know, we talked last week, Ellen talked about the, um, the call for disciples to obey the king. Um, and I see here uh, a different focus, which is um, the proclamation of the sovereign king about what will happen. He, he doesn't ask or beg them to be witnesses, does he? What does he say? Is it a question? You will, you will be my witnesses. This is, this is where we are in the eternal plan of God. We're at the step. We're in the age when my people who know me will be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and witness and tell people about me. That's where we'll be. And where will they do it? He says, uh, starting in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, um, and, and there are many, many passages that I could go through that show that this has always been God's intent for his glory to be known in, uh, to the ends of the earth, this phrase, everywhere, everywhere there are people. Um, that, 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 that has always been God's plan. 
And the interesting thing is what that might mean, right? So that means not just geographically, but that means um, all people, all types of people, every people group, every language. And we'll, we'll see that God um, is not uh, limited by human language. Um, he's not lim- limited by uh, geographical proximity, but that, again, he's planned for his people to be his witnesses to all peoples, even to the ends of the earth. And, you know, I don't, I don't say that to minimize um, the, uh, the choices that we make from day to day, but I, I say it because we need to know, I think we can take a lot of confidence in the fact that this is the age that we live in. We live in an age that God has ordained, that has introduced each of us to the grace of God in Jesus Christ and put his Holy Spirit in us so that we can witness to others, so that we can tell others about who he is and, uh, and hope with, uh, with, uh, with great hope that God will be bringing others into his family to experience his forgiveness and life in his son. So after this, uh, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they were just looking, looking at it. And I I don't know if it was intended to be funny. Sometimes I just, like, read scripture and imagine if I were there, and sometimes I'll laugh, but... You know, there were angels standing next to them. They didn't know they were there. You know, they're just standing up. And these, two, these two men are standing right there, and they kind of have to, like, what, imagine kind of like wave in front of them, like, hey, hey, guys, hey, we're here. Hey, we're, we're here to say something. But they tell them not to keep looking at uh, where Jesus went. <clears throat> um, they, they promise that he's going to come back. And again, um, you know, that he would uh, be visible on clouds um, is not something that should have been too surprising. Um, I wanted to read uh, Daniel chapter 7. And this is a pretty, uh, a pretty famous prophecy of who the Son of Man will be. Uh, but in Daniel 7... Verses 13 and 14, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And the angels say, He's coming back. He's going to come back in the same way that you just saw him leave. And Zechariah says it's going to be on this same mountain. So what what does it mean for the disciples at that point who have, one thing I'd imagine, had seen uh, Jesus call them do miracles among people, and then be rejected and crucified. But then saw him three days later alive again. 
appearing to them, explaining things to them. And now they see him leave again. But what would that mean to the disciples? What, what do you think you would, I mean, I, I feel like I'd be very confused. I would, I would be very, have been very confused. I felt like I knew what the age was. I felt like I knew what was happening when Jesus was teaching. I, I kind of knew where this train was headed. And then, whoa, okay. Betrayed, crucified. That, that wasn't really what I was thinking. And then Jesus comes back. Okay, all right. We're back on track. I think I know what's happening here. And then he spends maybe 40 days with them, and, and then he leaves. What's, what's going on here? And, um, and this, this goes, goes back to what, what I had said at the beginning. I mean, I, I think this uh, helps us as disciples to think about and reflect on what waiting means. You know, what, what it means not just to, for them to, to wait for the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus told them to do. That was the easily measurable action that he told them to do. But to also to wait for Jesus to return again which they, Jesus told them, I'm not, you're not going to know when this is going to happen. You, you're not going to know. But I think also I would be waiting to understand. I would be waiting to understand what, what this really meant. Um, and waiting still for the promises that Jesus had made to them, that he wouldn't leave them or forsake them. How is that? Remember when we were um, studying John and we, we read that Jesus told his disciples that it would be better for them, for him to leave. Because if he left, he would be able to send the Holy Spirit to fill them and to empower them. And if we understand what Jesus is trying to tell them, that the the age that he is initiating is an age where he is exalted and reigning from heaven and his church is empowered by his Holy Spirit on earth to be witnesses of who God is and to lead to the restoration and the proclamation of the gospel to all the ends of the earth. Then it starts to maybe make some, make some sense. But they still don't know the timing. They still don't know how long they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They don't know how long they're waiting for Jesus. I would, I would say um, almost none of them would have thought it would be 2,000 years. And yet, um, they're, they're asked to wait, and we are asked to wait. And yet, it's not just a, a waiting in a room because now we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us that equips us to be his witnesses. We have seen him. We have seen who he is. We have seen who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit has helped us to see him and to know who he is. Even if we can't say that we've touched him or seen the nail marks in his hands and his feet, the Holy Spirit has opened up our hearts so that we can see who Jesus is. And that is what we as a church, not just City of Refuge, but the global church, that's what we are here to do, is to be his witnesses so that others will hear and be called into uh, faith 
in him. So I just wanted to close with the question, which is, this is, and I recognize this to some extent by by the amount of time that we have together. This is a very, I would call this a very spiritual message. And my question is, as, as you leave here, think about what is going to happen uh, over this course of this week. Think about the things that you are going to be involved with, you're going to be thinking about, you're going to be doing. Moms, you know, this is Mother's Day. I know it isn't difficult for you to think about on a daily basis what may be filling your mind and your time. Um, but for each of us, at your job, at your school, how does the ascension of Christ, how does the fact that he is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that there have been people in human history who have seen him there, how does that, how does his call to the church, that we are in an age where the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we could witness of Christ, How does that impact what you do each day? And um, and my, you know, it's it's a difficult question to answer, and I and and I hope it's not just um, me taking the easy way out. But I think the answer is going to be from the Holy Spirit in you. I think that's going to be the answer. Is as you uh, talk to talk to Him and let him speak to you. He will show you what does it mean for you to be walking in that witness. Even in a period where we're really waiting, I mean, we're all really waiting to see what is it going to be like when Jesus comes down from the clouds in Jerusalem one day and he restores the kingdom and he calls from all over the earth. What is that going to to look like. We're still wondering and we're still waiting. No one, know, no one knows. The authority, the authority of God, by his authority, he just hasn't told us that. But the, the truth of Christ exalted over all things, how is that going to affect our, our life this week? That's what I'd like, like us to pray for. So let me pray for us as we close. Lord Jesus, We submit to you, God, and we thank you, just even in the worship this morning, for allowing us to partially see you exalted and lifted up. God, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would show us, God, how to be witnesses, how to be your witnesses. We pray that you would comfort us as we wait. Remind us of the the truth of your promises. Pray, God, that as a church, we would be a faithful witness. We pray that you would help us, God, to go to all those who are different from us and the same as us, to faithfully proclaim the gospel to them. I pray, God, for those who are hearing this message and have not yet seen or submitted to you. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would lead them to new life in your Son. And I pray this in his name, Jesus' name.